Hi, this is 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. I want to help these moms talk to their babies, the physician told me. Who? What do you mean? I asked. She referenced a study that had identified a large gap in the words used by more educated parents with and around their children and less educated parents with and around their children. I recalled the study she was referencing, and I started to catch on to her meaning. She and I would continue to talk about this so-called word gap for weeks. It turned out she had tried to broach this topic with some of the moms she worked with, but had been unsuccessful. This conversation happened about 15 months ago, but I went and found my notes on it recently after seeing this word gap hit the news again. I'll share with you some of what the physician and I talked about, give you some pointers for the next time you're thinking about language and your patients, and end with four things you can do today to improve communication with all your patients. Welcome to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication with Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Providing you with tips and strategies you can use to improve your patient engagement. The so-called word gap hit the news lately in the form of two different podcasts and a flurry of social media activity. Yes, a podcast that references other podcasts. On July 1st, the Vocal Fries podcast series released an episode called Don't Mind the Gap with an interview from Dr. Nelson Flores at the University of Pennsylvania. Ten days later, NPR's Code Switch also tackled the so-called word gap in their episode, Word Up. They're both interesting and informative, so please check them out. Links in the show notes, of course. Now, the physician and I had continued to talk about this study, and I was concerned about what this study meant to her, what she was taking away from it, because it certainly had had an impact. As she put it, the study for her portrayed the experience of low socioeconomic status babies and toddlers as in her words, my mom does not talk to me other than to say, stand up, sit down, shut up. This was truly a terrible image for her to be taking away from the study, and I understood her concern. She wanted to help address the situation in any way she could. You also want to do your best to help your patients and their families, just like this physician. She was genuinely concerned with helping parents do the best they could for their babies. Now, the controversial 1995 study that started this 30 million word gap trend has gained tremendous attention over the years, positive and negative. The two podcasts, the Vocal Fry episode and the Code Switch episode, do a great job of filling in the details, uh, breaking down some of the history of this. So again, please check them both out. Here, I'm going to talk about this study as a way of connecting to health disparities, and I'm going to focus on the deficit perspective. Now, I've written about the deficit perspective before, it's in podcasts, and deficit perspectives relate to a focus on what a patient doesn't understand, uh, doesn't do, what a patient's situation lacks, what his or her community can't provide, or in research terms, it can be a focus that's limited to negative results, effects, examples, depictions, or instances. 
Um, you've also heard me warn against any educational programming that's based on deficit assumptions. Now, as damaging as they are, deficit perspectives can be tricky to catch, even for the most equity-minded people. But it's particularly important to call out deficit perspectives now. And this is because, you've heard this from me before, recent research is showing how public health, medical care, and human services providers can unintentionally be contributing to racial and ethnic health disparities, and that some of this is manifesting itself through language, language that can slip into our use unconsciously. This brings us back to that so-called 30 million word gap. Now, the NPR Code Switch podcast calls the 30 million an incredibly catchy number. Indeed, that number, 30 million, is big, splashy, memorable. 30 million of anything seems imposing. I can't imagine anything that stresses the differences between you and your patient is going to bring you closer together and make your relationship stronger including claims of differences in quality and quantity of language. Now, language is a social construct. The use of language is a social act. At the most basic level, we use language to be understood and to understand each other. We are all, always, speaking from particular social positions. If it helps, imagine you're standing on a large map You're located in a physical position, but overlapping that are multiple circles, social circles that you belong to, like a big Venn diagram with you in the middle. Whatever it is we say, it's said from a viewpoint within the cultures that we're members of. Right now, I am speaking from my perspective. You are listening from yours. The worldview, the cultural background of the provider and the patient come into play in the patient encounter. That's right, your patient is also standing on a map in the midst of various Venn diagrams, speaking from their position. We want to be careful that we're not tacitly accepting an argument, as the Don't Mind the Gap Vocal Fries podcast points out, Quote, that a particular cultural background is higher than another. We all have rich cultural and linguistic practices that we engage in, end quote. Now, you know, because you are alive in America today, that people who speak English with an accent, or even certain dialects of English, are often seen as inferior. This is nothing new. Dr. Flores points out, how, quote, the language practices of racialized and low-income communities all the way back to European colonization have been seen through a deficit lens. I'll say that again. The language practices of racialized and low-income communities all the way back to European colonialism have been seen through a deficit lens. Speaking a different dialect or language should not prejudice our attitudes toward others, but too often it does. This means that the so-called 30 million word gap can be memorable, even seductive, because there are ideas multiple generations deep in our society 
that may escape our conscious awareness about those people and the way they speak. Now, make no mistake, speakers of non-standard dialects are well aware of the differences between their dialect and mainstream dialects and of the cultural inequalities they imply. So here are four things you can do to help shift from a deficit perspective to a resource perspective with any patient. Number one, start with the assumption that your patients are already doing the thing you want them to do. And if there's one thing you can take away from any of my podcasts, I think this is what I would like it to be. Start with the assumption that your patients are already doing the thing you want them to do. So rather than assume they're not having meaningful vocal interactions with their kids, assume they are having meaningful vocal interactions with their kids. It's a very different starting place. Your job is to expand or extend that action. Brings me to number two. Create some language routines for yourself that'll build on what patients are already doing. That is, have some phrases handy that will encourage patients to take one more step to build on what they are already doing. For instance, what would you be comfortable adding to that? Or do you think you could do that three times a week instead of two? Or if you like X, I think you'd really like Y. Let me show you a website. You might even include their background knowledge and the words they actually use. As Dr. Flores suggests, quote, if there are people who speak languages other than English, you ask them how to say a few words in that language. Number three, beware any study or theory that implies that those kinds of people just can't learn won't listen, are just not motivated. Remember, between provider and patient are not issues of correct and incorrect language, but of worldview, sociocultural influences, assumptions, negotiations. And lastly, don't take your eye off the ball in terms of root causes. Reach out to colleagues who are also addressing issues of poverty, food insecurity, income inequality, and discrimination. Because yes, you're helping the patients in front of you, and you're keeping in mind the generations behind them. This has been 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Lieber. Thanks for listening to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners, LLC. Find us at healthcommunicationpartners.com.